0: Messenger For Sunday, January 8, 2023, I'm your reader, Laura Gibson. Here's our first story. Fort Dodge Council primary election is Tuesday. The group of eight candidates seeking one at-large seat on the Fort Dodge City Council will be reduced to just two in Tuesday's special primary election. The eight candidates are Kyrie Borsay, Stephen Hansen, Richard Higgins, Wayne Mason, Zach Moore, Eugene Newsom, and Jim Seward. All eight candidates answered questions from the messenger, and their answers are included in today's edition of the newspaper. There will be just two polling places open on Tuesday. They will be at the Fort Dodge Municipal Building, 819 1st Avenue South, and the Fort Dodge Community School District Central Office. 109 North 25th Street. People may vote at either location, according to Tina Eldahl, Webster County's Deputy Auditor. The polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Tuesday. The top two vote-getters will advance to the February 7th special election. The winner of the special election will serve on the council for the rest of 2023 completing the unexpired term of former Councilman Nevin Conrad, who resigned in October. This at-large council seat will be on the ballot in the November general election, and the winner of the vote will serve a full four-year term. Conrad, an attorney, resigned on October 11th after being named the Magistrate of Humboldt County. Iowa's rules of judicial conduct prohibit magistrates and judges from holding political office. When he resigned... Conrad had a little bit more than a year remaining of his four-year term. At the suggestion of Mayor Matt Bemrich, the council moved to appoint Andy Fritz, who had previously served on the council for 10 years to fill the vacancy created by Conrad's resignation. Fritz was appointed to the seat on October 24th, but there was some opposition to the appointment. Higgins, who has unsuccessfully run for council multiple times, said if anyone was to be appointed it should be him or Brooke Bickford, both of whom ran for an at-large seat on the council in the 2021 election. But Higgins said he was also starting a petition to force a special election. Higgins and Newsom, another frequent city council candidate, did circulate petitions and submitted them on November 7th. The petitions contained 440 signatures, 369 signatures, were required to trigger a special election. So here's a little about each of the candidates. Kyrie Borsay, Occupation Distinguished Professor of Communications at Iowa Central Community College and owner of KD's Over the Moon. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city, and what would you seek to do about it if you were elected? Quote, I think that there's definitely some concern about the water bills going up and the fear that property taxes will go up. As a city council, we don't want to control the property valuation for the taxes. With all the water mains we have had breaking, we have have to be able to repair these things or they are going to end up costing us more in the future. I live in Fort Dodge and I have a business here and I certainly don't want to pay more, but there are some things that have to be maintained." What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, I think, one, we have an addiction problem in our community. I know they have opened a new recovery house in town and remodeled another one, and that will help. Just being aware of the addiction problem will help with that. The candidate suggested having a place, local, in downtown, that would be a site for providing mental health and addiction treatment services to the homeless population. She said the services provided there could also be as basic as checking to see if people are getting their medicines every day. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, definitely, definitely. I think we need to encourage businesses to start fixing up these spaces and start making use of them. I also think we should invite artists and musicians here to make use of some of these spaces downtown. When you bring artists in, it creates attrition. It tends to lower crime. It tends to lower homelessness. It tends to lower addiction. We just need to be doing something with these downtown spaces. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? The candidate again recommended creating a space downtown where people could get connected to help with mental health and addiction issues. She also advocated finding a way that police could work with mental health professionals. Quote, I think that the police respond to a lot of incidents that, in the end, end up being mental health related. And if you're just incarcerating people in those cases, it doesn't help them. End quote. What would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, I know there's talk about increasing the police force, but I'm not sure if we need to be adding officers. End quote. She said the emphasis should be on recruiting and retraining, retaining quality police officers and making sure they are trained correctly. Quote, I understand we will have to replace our police chief in the near future, and I would love to be a part of that process. We have a very unique community, and we need to be very selective in how we fill that position. Stephen Hansen, Occupation Route Driver for Frito-Lay. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city, and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, right now, I think the number one issue is crime. I think we've got a problem. I think we can give all the resources we can to the police, but honestly, it starts at home. This stuff is starting in our homes. We need to do a better job as parents, but that's nothing a city council can fix. End quote. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, I would say we need some medical help. We need more mental health help for these people, end quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, yes, there are some vacant buildings that are real eyesores to the community, end quote. The candidate said he would fully enforce all city ordinances requiring people to maintain, repair, or remove their buildings, he said vacant buildings attract homeless people, drug dealers, and kids who are just playing. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? Quote, I think mental health is becoming a very huge issue of society with people having problems, especially post-COVID. Definitely our mental health issues aren't going away. There's really a need, especially post-COVID, end quote. What would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, maybe add on to the police force, end quote. Richard Higgins, occupation, retired. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, I think infrastructure is one of our big concerns. I used to be opposed to raising our water rates and spending money to do projects. But then I saw that document at city council that showed all of our infrastructure problems After seeing that document on the infrastructure, that woke me up. That made me understand. Quote, I know it's going to cost us a few dollars, but it needs to be done. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, we need more facilities for homeless families. We do have a big issue here of homeless people. As you drive around, you see these people. It is getting to be a serious issue. It's not just Fort Dodge. It's all over. End quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, Fort Dodge is an older town, and there are a lot of vacant buildings. It is a serious problem. I think it's up to the homeowners to take care of their property. Maybe we need to put more teeth in the ordinances to make sure they do and clean up some of these lots, end quote. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? We need more services for mental health, such as treatment center and professional psychiatrists living and working in our community. I think that would be a big help. People are becoming more accepting that mental illness is a disease. We need more people to be more accepting. What would you recommend to improve policing? We don't need any more police officers. When I lived in the Chicago area, we had an officer, and he was assigned to these four blocks— he came out and introduced himself and gave everyone his card so we could call him. Once a month, we had a meeting with this particular police officer and the police chief and discussed what was going on in our neighborhood. It did work. To me, it works, and it lets people know that the police department is working with them. End quote. Wayne Mason, Occupation Outside Sales for Gilcrest Jewett Lumber Company in Webster City. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city, and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, positive growth for Fort Dodge, to help find the ways to support and attract those who want to come to Fort Dodge and positively impact our community. End quote. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, this I will be honest that I don't know too much about, but it has become an issue that needs to be addressed. We need to get all the agencies that can help and are working this problem together and have them working with each other so their resources go farther. Then, once everyone is on the same page, we can see what else is needed and how to go about getting it done, End quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, we do have many vacant buildings, and I need to learn more about what the city can actually do legally to remedy the situation but hopefully we can find a way to either provide incentives for a useful building to be repurposed and become a useful part of the community, or if the building is worn down to its end of its usefulness, clear it out and give the property a fresh start, end quote. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing for mental health care? Quote, the city has a responsibility to keep its citizens safe and with mental health problems at an all-time high, this is becoming a key area. It puts stress on law enforcement. It is, an increasing, it is increasing the homeless issue. We need to come together, city government, law enforcement, medical professionals, human service agencies, churches, and neighborhoods, to do what it takes to help the person in need and keep our citizens safe. It's a huge task. If we can figure this out, Fort Dodge will be a model city for the whole USA. But if anyone can do it, we can, end quote. What would you do or what would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, do our best to provide the resources that are needed to get the best outcome possible for Fort Dodge. Zach Moore, occupation owner of Shelter Insurance Agency. What do you think the number one issue facing the city and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, the number one issue is going to be the water bill and crime, they're tied you're not going to be able to magically fix a water bill. Fort Dodge has done a very good job taking care of our infrastructure and updating our water treatment plant. On our crime issue, we need community engagement with our police officers so that we know them and they know the community. The Fort Dodge Police Department has done a really good job of starting community engagement programs. We have a drug problem, and I'm scared of an opioid epidemic or a fentanyl problem coming, so I want to stay ahead of that. The candidate has stated he would like to have the city enter an agreement with Webster County under which Sheriff Luke Fleener would oversee the police department. He said the city also needs to find the money to hire more officers. He cited Federal Bureau of Investigation Statistics, which he said indicate a city the size of Fort Dodge should have 2.4 officers for every 1,000 residents. By that measure, he said, the Fort Dodge Department, which has 40 officers, is short eight officers. He also wants to reassign or reconfigure the duties of the officers. Quote, we have to have more police patrolling and less doing administrative work. End quote. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, I've noticed it's an issue downtown a lot. Is there any way we could help the Beacon and YWCA? I would like us to find a way to help GrantWise and find funds to help our shelters. End quote. He said he would like to find a way to turn some vacant buildings into halfway houses where homeless people could stay temporarily. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? The candidate repeated that he would like to fix some of them up to temporarily house homeless people. Quote, I'd rather have a pretty remodeled house helping people get their lives back together than have a vacant house sitting there. End quote. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? Quote, it's a statewide issue. The state has dropped funding in the mental health area. I would love the city to help if we have the funds for it. The city needs to help the community health center market their services for mental health here in town. End quote. He said the city's police officers, firefighters, and paramedics should be trained to properly help people having a mental health crisis. Eugene Newsom. Occupation? Retired. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, the number one issue facing the city is crime, specifically homicides. I'm concerned because it's including a high number of black people. That's disturbing. Too many young black males are passing away. I will work with the police department to solve the mystery. Arson. That's another one. People go in these empty houses and make a little fire, and then the fire gets out of control, end quote. The candidate said he would also work for another bridge across Des Moines River to replace the long-gone Bennett Viaduct. We need to at least put a pedestrian bridge there. If I'm on the council, I'm going to lobby for that. I will lobby the statehouse in Des Moines on behalf of Fort Dodge. I'm not going to sit here and say nothing, end quote. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, make sure people have access to information that is available to them. Some of them don't know there's a way to get help. I would advise people in a position to help people to speak up more. I would get you to print in the paper if you need help. This is who you call. This is where you go. End quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, I think the city is taking care of that. They're right on top of that one. They took care of North 8th Street, and I'm happy about that. I don't think they have that much problem with vacant buildings anymore, End quote. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? Quote, these people need somewhere to go where they can find help. I think it's incumbent on the city to provide that information. Mental health, that's the second biggest thing behind crime. You see it on people's faces. I can see it on their face, the stress and being afraid, End quote. What would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, I don't think we need more policemen. We've got a police presence on the street. That ain't the problem. I'm not afraid of the police. When I see them in the convenience store, I go up and talk to them. I would work with them, End quote. Megan Secor, Occupation Co-Owner and Marketing Coordinator of Soldier Creek Winery. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city, and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, I think the number one opportunity is addressing quality of life. I feel we have come such a long way with the quality of life. We have awesome things for people to do, but I think we can continue to improve. I think the city has done a really good job of that in the 13 years I've lived here. End quote. The candidate said she believes quality of life includes, among many things, Recreation, arts, culture, housing, and conservation. Quote, the city does a really great job conserving our water resource. I like that it's already a high priority. End quote. She's proposing to advance the city's conservation efforts by adding a food waste composting system, which would be different from the current yard waste disposal service. She said composted food waste would become soil that could be used for beautification projects throughout town. She added that the composting effort could become a source of revenue for the city. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, I think the homelessness issue is a large issue that no one I- entity can handle by itself, End quote. She suggested having the city government offer tax incentives to private organizations to encourage them to build shelters for the homeless. Quote, I certainly think our city can use more shelters. I think a collaboration between the city and a private entity would be the best choice in this case, End quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, I think they're doing all they can with the funds they do have. Vacant buildings affect public safety because often they turn into a fire situation. I think the city could possibly push it to a little more priority, End quote. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? Quote, I think mental health is very important issue. I think a goal for all people and all organizations should be reducing the stigma of seeking help, End quote. She said there may be a role for the city government in promoting easier access to mental health care. What would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, as we are right now, the police force does a great job. They are always there when you need them. I think they are understaffed, but I also know that adding officers is expensive and adding just one isn't adequate. Able to, adding more help would be a great first step to make certain everyone is getting adequate rest and performing at their best. Jim Seward, occupation mental health counselor and owner of Grace Counseling and Consulting, LLC. What do you think is the number one issue facing the city and what would you seek to do about it if you are elected? Quote, I would say that the top concern is financial: budgets, being wise with the monies of our taxpayers. As I become the new city council person, I will learn a lot more about the finances and budgeting of the city. And I also think that the safety of the city is a top priority: making sure that the police are trained and equipped and that their needs are funded. End quote. What do you think can be done about homelessness in Fort Dodge? Quote, "It is an issue." I think that there are a lot of variables that go along with homelessness. We have a lot of great social ministry efforts to help the homeless, but there are rules that have to be followed. There may be an underlying issue of drug use that is rampant in the homeless population. I'd support the police in enforcing and following the current laws on the books that may apply to homelessness. There are lots of social services aimed to help this population as well, and I would make sure they are known about. End quote. Do you think the city has a problem with vacant buildings? If so, what do you think can be done? Quote, I think they had a problem, but I know the 100 block of North 8th Street looks really good. There's an open field there now. I believe there's been decisions made to tear down vacant buildings and to beautify the area. As an alternative to demolitions, the candidate said he would be interested in grant or loan programs that could be made available to help property owners fix up buildings. What role, if any, do you think the city should have in providing mental health care? Quote, "They can promote it more. I know I would. I'm in that business. There's a lot of great mental health service providers out there. Besides promoting it, besides having some forums on it, I don't know how much city monies can be spent on making people mentally sound. There are already parts of the city doing just that End quote." What would you recommend to improve policing? Quote, "Support the chief." Show support to the men and women who wear a uniform 8 to 10 hours a day before they get to go home. Make sure they have proper training. Make sure they have the continuing education they need. Be responsive to them. Make sure they have an opportunity to communicate with the council so they feel like they have a seat at the table. Weitzel Barn, big on history and, well, just big. Gene and Sandy Weitzel's barn has told stories through the decades, even more than a century's worth. A big part of its history is that this barn is, quote, big, end quote. For those who like numbers, the Weitzel barn is 60 feet wide, 88 feet long, and 50 feet high at its peak. That's 264,000 square feet of space, most of it utilitarian. It has three tracks for haylifting, storage, and delivery, to several drops for livestock. It has housed 28 horses and the same number of milking cows. The Weitzel barn has been a busy, big barn. Weitzel's grandfather, George Philip, purchased the land in 1874 at just 23 years of age. In 1902, he raised the barn on this Sack County farm. He most likely brought the wood in by rail, and it was constructed with wooden pegs. It was a time when nails cost a premium. The original foundation is rock and mortar and with some patchwork over time. Now, 120 years later, the construction is sturdy as ever, a testament to the carpentry skills of those who made this behemoth a reality. In 1907, GP attached a sizable shed to his barn to aid in the care of his 380 head of cattle. In 1921, his corn crib burned to the ground. Quote, What I find incredible is that the fire didn't leap to the barn or other buildings, end quote, said Gene Weitzel. Quote, The farm could have been a total loss with the livestock, end quote. The corn crib was rebuilt in 1922. In 1935, Franklin Roosevelt created the Work Progress Administration, WPA, to alleviate one of the toughest unemployment times in the nation's history and the Weitzel barn was there to support the effort. Quote, the creek to the west needed to be straightened, said Weitzel, and a new bridge built. GP provided barn space and care for the workers' horses. He was paid 50 cents a head for the work, End quote. The WPA administrator must have been pleased to see the size of that barn. In 1942, GP's son, Albert John, A.J., garnered ownership of the Weitzel farm after par- partnering with his father to the farm's success. Quote, I remember becoming active on the farm around 1955 when I was 11 years old, said Gene Weitzel. I was raking hay, taking care of the little calves, and on my had my own litter of pigs. Cleaning out the chicken coop was my least favorite thing to do, end quote. During his father's tenure, there was wall renovation in the 1960s, as well as seco-rolled white tin to replace the original cedar shingles. A.J.'s initials were painted on the corn crib during his years of ownership. In 1970, Gene and Sandy were married, earning ownership of the farm in 1977 after being partners with his father. Gene Weitzel remembers his father saying to Sandy, quote, Our barn is so big, it clouds up and rains in there, quote. Climbing on the ladder into the hayloft, the barn does seem to have its own atmospheric condition. Quote, Five years ago we decided to get out of livestock altogether. The hay is used for the church manger at Christmas time now, end quote. The Weitzels, along with their son Ryan, 47, exclusively farm 272 acres in Clinton Township. Daughters Kristen, 50, and Sarah, 42, both live in Minneapolis. Those that built this barn, hewing mammoth beams and securing them with wooden pegs, would be pleased to see it still structurally sound with little help over the years. However, Weitzel's farm has been blessed with other changes throughout the years. Quote, I enjoy operating the machinery and seeing the technology change, said Weitzel. The modernization of the machinery makes the job of harvesting easier. Years ago, we changed from ear corn to shelling, and that was impressive. Just the sheer amount of information we can glean today from harvest to harvest is amazing. Also, in a fitting tribute to the farm's legacy, Jean's initials were added to the corn crib this past July. And now for our opinions page. The Christmas spirit of giving should continue throughout the year. The needs don't end when the holiday season concludes. Every year around the holidays, the generosity of people who live in and around Fort Dodge Blossoms The familiar red kettles of the Salvation Army get filled with change by people going in and out of stores. Donations flow for initiatives like Coats for Kids. There are some of the best-known helping campaigns in the Fort Dodge area that ramp up at Christmas time, and we know there are a lot of others out there as well. The holiday season is over now. Volunteers are no longer standing next to red kettles ringing bells. Other programs have gone dormant until next Christmas, but the need is still there. Hunger, sickness, poverty, and other woes don't disappear when the Christmas lights get packed away. Organizations like the Salvation Army fight those issues all year long. That fight is conducted out of the public view for the most part, and it requires funding. Helping the hungry, sick, and downtrodden never gets any cheaper. The generosity that is cherished part of the Christmas spirit gives charitable organizations a big shot in the arm every year. But as the year progresses, there really isn't any other season, holiday, or event that spurs an outpouring of donations. And all through the year, various groups are still laboring away to help our neighbors. Those groups may struggle with finances as the year goes on. That shouldn't have to happen. While Christmas is over, it's not time for people to close their hearts and their billfolds. We urge people to donate to worthy causes, especially local ones, all throughout the year. Donations, even small ones, spread out over an entire year can mean a lot. Charitable organizations and the people they serve will be grateful. You are listening to the Fort Dodge Messenger on the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Laura Gibson. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515 243 6833. And now we'll turn to today's obituaries. Carolyn M. Richardson, Rockwell City. Carolyn M. Richardson, 88, passed away Saturday, December 24, 2022, at Affectionate Care Assisted Living in Richmond, Texas. Funeral services will be 11 a.m. Thursday, January 12, 2023, at St. Francis Catholic Church, Rockwell City, with Father Timothy R. Schott officiating as at the Mass of Christian Burial. Rosary will be held Wednesday, January 11th at 3.30 p.m. at the Palmer and Swank Funeral Home, Rockwell City, with visitation following from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. Memorials may be left to the discretion of the family. Richard Dick P. Bockert Richard Dick P. Bockert 86, of Fort Dodge, Iowa, died Monday, January 2, 2023, at the Paula J. Barber Hospice Home. Private family services will be held at a later date. Memorials may be directed to the Paula J. Barber Hospice Home. Arrangements are with Historic Bruce Funeral Home of Fort Dodge. To view the complete obituary and leave online condolences for the family, please visit com, Carol M. Spore, Muscatine. Visitation is 1030 to 1130 a.m. Wednesday, January 11, 2023 at Calvary Church. Memorial service will be held at 1130 a.m. on Wednesday at the church. Mary Cook, Britt. Memorial service is 4 p.m. on Sunday, January 22, 2023 at Ewing Funeral Chapel, in Britt. Visitation is from 2 to 4 p.m. Sunday at Ewing Funeral Chapel in Britt. Now we'll read a few stories from sports. Road Weary, Dodger Girls Can't Slow Down Riverhawks, Mason City. The Fort Dodge girls dropped their third straight road game to start 2023, falling to Mason City on Friday, 68 to 43. The Riverhawks led by nine at the half and 12 heading into the fourth before pulling away. Quote, we played up and down all night, end quote. FDSH head coach Scott Messerly said. Quote, we cut the lead to seven a couple times, but just couldn't get any closer. Mason City really shot the ball very well, end quote. For the Dodgers, Peyton Hively scored 24 points and Laney Mayhall added 12, Hively had 13 in the first half and was 6 of 7 from the free-throw line. Hively also grabbed 15 rebounds and Mahel had 12. LJ Mahel added 7 rebounds and 3 assists, and Ashlyn Wills chipped in 4 rebounds and 3 steals. Mia McCaleb added 3 rebounds and 3 assists. Quote, Ashlyn did a really nice job on the defensive end, Messerly said. She was all over the court, end quote. Kelsey McDonough knocked down four three-pointers and scored 16 to lead Mason City, while Reggie Spots scored 12 and Michaela Trask added 11. The Riverhawks made six triples in the first half and finished with eight for the night. The two teams split the series last year, but Mason City has now won 25 of the last 29 meetings overall. Fort Dodge returns to the court on Tuesday when they host Des Moines East at 6.15 p.m. Dodger boys come up short. Mason City. The Fort Dodge boys' basketball squad nearly fought its way back from a double-digit fourth-quarter deficit here Friday, before rival Mason City ultimately pulled away for a 61-51 victory. The Dodgers climbed to within a single basket, with under three minutes remaining, trailing just 46-44. The Riverhawks responded, though, closing the game on a 15-7 run to improve to 5-2 on the season. Senior Javion Jondal had 19 points for FDSH, which was playing its fifth consecutive road game and second in as many nights. Sophomore Cade Westerhoff added 15. Quote, we had good energy start to finish. End quote. Fort Dodge head coach Willie Williams said, quote, it was just a matter of consistent e- execution. We didn't rebound well enough to win on the road and really struggled at the free throw line. The Dodgers were 6-for-14 at the charity stripe compared to the 17-of-27 for the Riverhawks. Quote, we can play with anyone, I really believe that. It's just a matter of getting everyone on the same page at the same time, end quote. Trailing 43-31 consecutive three-pointers by Westerhoff and Jondal inched the Dodgers closer. A tray by sophomore Royce Peterson, and a pair of jondle-free throws made it a two-point contest before seven straight points by Davian Maxwell closed the door. Maxwell had 11 points and three steals in the final 1 minute and 28 seconds. Kale Hobart led Mason City with 19 points. Maxwell contributed 17 Quote, Javion and Cade had solid games offensively, and Ryan Daniel did an outstanding job taking charges and playing th- tough, end quote. Williams said, quote, Royce gave us really solid, productive minutes off the bench. I see a sense of urgency from our guys when we're down, and I have, and have to come back. Now I want that at all times, end quote. Area sports roundup. Man's 23 lifts cats. Humboldt. Morgan Mann scored a game high, 23 points as the Humboldt Girls topped Webster City here Friday night in North Central Conference action, 58-40. Ava Fisher added 12 points and Kayla Geber, 7 for the Wildcats. For the Lynx, Chloe Anderson led the way with 13. Gail J.V. Falls, Algona. The St. Edmund Junior Varsity Boys fell to Algona here Friday night, 78-38. Grant Gals scored... 17 to lead the Gales, who played Eagle Grove on Monday. Southeast JV girls topped Algona. The St. Edmund Junior Varsity girls dropped a 40-18 to 18 decision to Algona here Friday night. Ava Underberg scored 7 points for the Gales and Josie Harvey added 4. Cougars top GTRA. Manson. The Manson-Northwest Webster boys held off GTRA here Friday night, 56-49. to 49. Reese Olsen scored 16 points. Kaylin Koval added 15 and Brody Poppin 11 for the Cougars. For the Titans, Drew Schnell had 19. Sturgis double-double leads MNW. Manson. Olivia Sturgis scored 24 points and grabbed 10 rebounds as the Mason-Manson North Webster girls topped GTRA here Friday night, 48-36. to 36. Sturgis also had three steals as Bree Weiss scored 13 points and grabbed 10 rebounds. Chloe Peterson added five assists and two steals. Cowgirls Lasso HD slash Cal. Clarion. The Clarion-Goldfield-Dows girls topped Hampton-Dumont-Cal here Friday night, 48-27. Sawyer-Morical knocked down five three-pointers and scored a game-high 17 points while Elliot Enos had a double-double with 10 points and 10 rebounds for the Cowgirls. Lexi Lane added 10 points and 5 steals. Jordan Valley led Bulldogs with 14. Now we'll move over to the life section. Telling my dad's jokes. Why did the cookie go to the doctor? Because he was feeling crummy. Sometimes dad jokes bring out kids' laughter, and sometimes they elicit annoyed groans from teenagers but for one local author, they're a tool to connect with his kids. Recently, Fort Dodge resident and Colwell Banker Associated Realtors co-owner Kenan Schur wrote and published My Dad's Jokes as a children's book. Maddie Lind, owner of Dodge Graphics in Fort Dodge, illustrated the book. The illustrated characters of the book are based on Schur and his eldest daughter, 15-year-old Annalise, as well as the rest of the Schur family his wife, Lydia, seven-year-old Liam, and three-year-old Gwen. Quote, I'm always telling cheesy dad jokes, trying to embarrass them in front of their friends and whatnot, so it was just something I was going to do for them, end quote, Schur said. Initially, Schur just planned to make the book for his kids, but then he realized it needed to be much bigger than that. Quote, there's not a whole lot of dad-focused books for kids, end quote, he said. The book is about the relationship between a dad and his daughter, and how his telling of dad jokes has created a bond throughout the years. The daughter in the book is named Nell, after Annalise. Some of the anecdotes are personal, and some parts sure just felt fit with the story. The inspiration overall comes from his relationship with his children. Quote, when it starts, Nell is a young kid and she loves the jokes, so she looks to the jokes to help her feel a little comfort. Sure said. It's her first day of school and she's nervous, so he tells her a joke to kind of lighten her up a bit, end quote. As the daughter gets older and becomes a teenager, she starts to find the jokes silly and embarrassing. But as she transitions to college and adulthood, her dad's dad jokes become a comfort again. The book ends with the dad continuing the tradition of telling dad jokes, but this time it's to Nell's children. The story is chock full of dad jokes, Quote, they're all pretty good, Schur said. The cheesier, the better, end quote. The Schur kids love the books, he said. Quote, they've made me read it to them quite a few times, end quote, he said. Writing and publishing the book was quite a process, Schur said. Quote, there was a lot of tweaking and whatnot and getting input here and there. He said, finding a publisher was a challenge because he wanted to go with a hybrid of traditional publishing and self-publishing so he could retain the rights to his book. Schur then connected with Lind to illustrate the book. Quote, she did a great with the artwork, end quote, Schur said. My Dad's Jokes is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Archway Publishing. It's also available as an ebook and through the Ingram catalog used by bookstores to stock their shelves. We are here for the community. Creekside at Lizard Creek Ranch brings together family, food, fun. Located just outside of Fort Dodge, Lizard Creek Ranch is home to Creekside, a modern dining establishment that comes loaded with more than just food and drink. Offering everything from appetizers to flatbreads to several dinner plates, Creekside prides itself on being family-friendly, says general manager and co-owner Billy Wears. Quote, we are always looking for fun things to add, Wears said. We have s'mores kits that people can buy and use at the fire pits when the weather permits. They include everything needed to have s'mores around the campfire. We will continue to have bands, and when the weather warms back up, we will have our outside concerts again. We invite ATVs, snowmobiles, motorcycles, and anything else. We are also planning on setting up something for people that come on horseback. If people give us a suggestion, we'll see what we can do. We are here for the community. We want to be a place where people can go and tell their friends how awesome of a place it is. We have worked so hard this first year and want to continue to serve our community for years to come, end quote. Jamie Christian is the restaurant manager and has a daily hands-on role like Ware's. Quote, I have worked here since the beginning, Ware's said. Jamie attends to the day-to-day work details and I oversee a lot of the operations and ordering while Jamie handles the operations of the front end and bar. I do more of the paperwork and she is there as the bartender server. I also fill in when there's a need in the kitchen for cooking or in front for servers. I have done a lot with the catering side and catering small events that are held at Lizard Creek Ranch, end quote. Like many places, Creekside has been hit hard by a lack of staff. Quote, currently we have about 16 people working for us, Wears said. We are always looking for kitchen help that is reliable. We could use more servers, too. We look for people that are reliable and want to work and can get along well with others. We are a family at Creekside. We teach the right person what they need to know, so experience is nice, but it doesn't mean you won't get a job. End quote. Along with live entertainment, Mojo Productions will be holding a karaoke DJ party on January 28th, and an 80s prom is scheduled for February 18th at Timber Creek Hall at Lizard Creek Ranch. There's also weekly DJ bingo on Thursdays that is free with prizes handed out. Quote, we are very family friendly, Weirs said. We have the playground outside and we have large tables to seat eight to ten people. We are always having specials and always have new foods that we're trying out. We have a smothered chicken sandwich that is so delicious. We haven't added it to the menu, but if you ask for it, we will get it for you. Anything that has been a special is usually available. Our taco flatbread is another popular choice and so delicious. It's my personal favorite. We are very casual, so you can come as you are, and kids can be kids, end quote. Creekside, located at 1762 Johnston Ave., is open 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Tuesday through Friday, and 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. Millennial money, up the odds of meeting money goals in 2023. With a new year ahead and the holiday fanfare behind, this is a great time to set money goals, especially if you recently spent a lot on gifts and travel and want to get your finances in shape. Jim Strong, a rallying cry for Jim Lloyd's cancer battle, and this is from Spotlight. The odds were stacked against Jim Lloyd welcoming in his, this new year and celebrating his second, quote, re end quote, next month. But the odds didn't take into account the power of hashtag Jim Strong the rallying cry for his family, friends, and health givers when the Fort Dodge native, possessed with a strong will to live and a deep religious faith, was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Undergoing induction chemotherapy while isolated 47 days in the midst of the COVID pandemic, followed by a bone marrow transplant from a donor who was his great nephew, hashtag Jim Strong, will be part of his rebirth that began on the day of the transplant. February 19th, 2021, and will be marked for the rest of his days as a celebration of survival. In parentheses, transplant patients get a new birthday along with their new bone marrow. Quote, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Usually people die of it quickly, Lloyd said. For the longest time, they didn't give me much chance. Dying was a very likely possibility, but I preferred to live. I was blessed with the best nursing care possible. End quote. Complicating the diagnosis was that it came in April 2020 when the coronavirus epidemic was just getting started. He was moved onto the oncology floor of Virginia Hospital Center in Arlington, Virginia, 30 minutes from Herndon, Virginia, where Lloyd and his wife Babette live and where they raised their two daughters, Heather and Tiffany. Floor 8A became his home for the next 47 days. Quote, given the very strict COVID rules at the time, not even my mother was allowed inside the hospital, said younger daughter Tiffany Lloyd Severstons of Herndon. Quote, Dad's incredible team of oncology nurses immediately became his family on the inside. The woman who ran and still runs the team of nurses on 8A is named Lorraine Waltz. Within 48 hours of Dad moving on to 8A, Lorraine reached out to us and invited us to stand outside the hospital so that Dad could wave from eight floors above. We returned to do this a few times. One of them was featured on local news, NBC4, Washington, with a follow-up story with the same reporter Thanksgiving Day 2020. Quote, the relationship that we established between our family and Lorraine that day has grown and she remains a special part of our lives today. As you can imagine, this is also true for so many of dad's nurses from those 47 days. He underwent induction chemo during those 47 days. It is my understanding that many AML patients do not survive the first 30 days following diagnosis, given the precarious situation with blood numbers during the acute phase. Given Lloyd's age, 74, and medical history, prostate cancer, open heart surgery, and diabetes, his doctor offered a bleak outlook to achieve remission, let alone ever be considered as a candidate for a bone marrow transplant, which would be his only path to survival. But she had a connection to Dr. Mark Levis at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and Lloyd and his family pushed for the chance to meet with him as long as he completed his induction and did well with his blood numbers. Lloyd came home from the hospital on June 2, 2020, and the meeting with Dr. Levis took place a month later. Quote, Dr. Levis can be described as a rock star doc, Tiffany said, highly specialized, nearly unmatched smarts, but with a brash bedside manner. His honesty was appreciated in an environment where hope was important, but false hope was not at all helpful, end quote. The issue became finding a male bone marrow donor who was related to Lloyd. He had no sons, and his nephews were all well over the age of 45, the preferred age cutoff for donors in his case. What about a great-nephew? Levis was asked. He said such a transplant had never been done before, but that the generational gap would be a one-in-eight chance of finding a match. Lloyd had eight blood-related great-nephews, ranging in age from 22 to 39 at the time. All eight agreed to participate in a blood test to see if they were a match to their great-uncle, and after several months, the family learned, the night before Thanksgiving 2020, that Brandon Hummel of Urbandale, the oldest great-nephew, was a half-match. Dr. Levis said a half-match was good enough to try if all parties agreed to move forward. Brandon's own father-in-law, Tom Bass of Ames, is alive today due to a life-saving BMT, so this was a familiar journey to Brandon and his wife, Kari. Even with Brandon being the match, doctors' outlook on Lloyd's survival of the blood marrow transplant was not great due to risks involved given Lloyd's age and illness stage. Tiffany said, quote, Brandon told me this past summer that the doctors told him at the time his uncle would probably die anyway again, brash bedside manner, which in the long run we appreciated. We heard similar notions about his survival from Dr. Levis, but this is why our family's faith was so crucial in this journey, end quote. Brandon flew back to Baltimore with his wife in late February 2021 for the transplant at Johns Hopkins. Quote, glory be to God, not only did it go well, but exceeded all medical expectations, Tiffany said. Brandon underwent close to four hours of invasive bone marrow harvest surgery. He had a team of harvesters on both sides of his body, from what I understand. Deep in his hip region, doctors were able to yield the most bone marrow possible in this type of situation. Dad received the, as Dr. Levis refers to it, hot, steamy bone marrow within hours of it leaving Brandon, end quote. Lloyd was released from Johns Hopkins within two weeks and was reunited with his wife, They lived in hospital housing across the street from where he went for outpatient daily testing and checkups for almost 60 days. They returned home April 16, 2021, a year after his AML journey began. His follow-up appointments have become fewer and far between due to his ongoing improvement. Lloyd's Fort Dodge roots brought him strength of character and the ability to get along with people and served him well throughout his life and particularly in his difficult medical journey. James Arthur Lloyd and his six sisters, Gloria Ann, Dolores, Joyce, Donna, Linda, and Janice, were the children of Arthur James Lloyd and his wife, Elsie. Today, his only surviving sister is Donna, who lives in Cedar Falls. The family lived on a farm near Dumont, an hour and a half north and east of Fort Dodge, when on July thirtieth, 1959, Lloyd's parents were driving on old Highway 20 west of Alden when a car crossed into their lane, causing a head-on collision that instantly killed his father. Quote, when my dad was killed, that was really awful, Lloyd said. We had a good relationship. I'm not a crier, I guess. I thought I, as the man of the house at 13, I shouldn't shed tears. So I don't. End quote. Lloyd was going into eighth grade at a school in Dumont and finished before his mother moved the family to Fort Dodge in 1960, purchasing a home at 1016 North 22nd Street. The monthly Social Security benefit his mother got from his father's work as a farmer was instrumental in the family's survival, an irony in that not many years later, Jim joined the Social Security Administration for a lifelong career. Lloyd's Sunday school teacher at First Evangelical United Brethren Church was Walt Morgan, the meat market manager at Fort Dodge Fruit and Grocery. Quote, he knew I was turning 16 and said, Jim, come down and work with me in the meat market. I got an apron and a hat and worked the afternoons. I learned meat cutting and I kept that job through junior college. I also worked 16 hours a week at the post office. After graduating from Fort Dodge Senior High in 1964, Lloyd attended, then, Fort Dodge Community College, where he became active in numerous groups, starting the College Young Republicans Club and the Sociology Club, serving as vice president of Circle K and president of the International Relations Club. Quote, I like people and I like organization, and it was very stimulating, end quote, he said. Lloyd had so- and several of his good friends, Daryl Beal, Jeff Brooks, Jim Jarnovan, and Joe Tyden worked as school bus drivers for the Fort Dodge School District. Lloyd also worked at radio station KWMT-FM doing news and music programming. After he received his draft notice in February 1968, Lloyd enlisted in the Army and, in part because of his experience as a meat cutter, was assigned to Harlingen, Texas as part of a five-man veterinary detachment. His duty... To inspect fresh shrimp at Port Isabel, some of which was freeze dried for distribution to troops around the world. He went looking for a church within walking distance, and that is what led to meeting Babette Fullwider at First Methodist Church of Harlingen. Her father, Paul, was choir director, and her mother, Mary Ellen, invited him to join the family for lunch. Jim and Babette, who inherited her great musical talent from her mother and father, began dating in August of 1968 and were engaged the following Valentine's Day before they were married in Fort Dodge, June 21, 1969. Lloyd got orders for Vietnam and in October 1969 was on a plane to Vietnam that included Fort Dodge friend John Clements. Lloyd was assigned to the Army base at Long Bin as a food inspector. A highlight was attending a Bob Hope tour that featured Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Quote, I got to get the autograph of Armstrong. We shook hands and he signed it. I still have it and it's a treasure that I have framed. End quote. Returning home in October 1970, Lloyd attended Pan American University, now the University of Texas at Rio Grande Valley, and graduated in 1972 with a degree in government. An interview with a Social Security recruiter resulted in landing a position in 1973 with the agency. His first assignment, the North Bronx of New York City, as a claims representative. He and his wife were transferred to San Antonio, where they adopted daughter Heather. Fifteen months later, Tiffany was born. The young family was transferred to Juneau, Alaska for two years before moving to the Washington area, with assignments in Salisbury, Salisbury, Maryland, Georgetown, Delaware, Washington, D.C., and Arlington. Lloyd retired from the agency in 2008 after 35 years of service. Heather and her husband, Nate Johnson, live in Sterling, Virginia, with their daughter Evelyn, 17. Nate is a software engineering manager for Red Hat, and Heather has an in-home piano studio with about 25 piano students. Tiffany and her husband, Jorn Severston, live in Herndon with daughters Adelaide, 16, Sylvie, 14, Layla, 13, and Ellen, 7. Jorn is a sales rep in the Washington Baltimore area in architecture and design in the commercial furniture industry. Tiffany has her own photography business with a focus on family and corporate headshot photography. Jim and Babette returned in December from a European cruise, which had been delayed by COVID, and plan a trip to the Holy Land in late February. Quote, I feel like I appreciate everything more, Lloyd said. One thing Babs and I love to do is spend time with our grandkids. I never knew my grandparents. My grandparents were born in 1840 and 1860, and I didn't know them at all, end quote. Hashtag Jim Strong will remain a part of his life, including the Bible verse that became a signature to the Jim Strong support movement, Proverbs 3, 5. Quote, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, end quote. That's what we did, and to this day, we keep this at the front of our minds, Tiffany said. After we all hung up the conference call with the oncologist who gave the bleak outlook, on Diagnosis Day, April 16, 2020, we asked Dad what we could do. His immediate response was, ask for prayers. We asked for big, bold prayers and have been covered in grace, love, support, and healing in the time since that day. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Fort Dodge Messenger. I'm your reader, Laura Gibson. Thanks for sharing your time with Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.